Hello, everybody. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Happy Seventh Day. Praise God. Happy Seventh Day. Praise God for everything He's been doing, working miracles. Amen. We talk about miracles. Wow. Amen. Praise God. If you are in a church of power, if there is power from above, power from on high in the church, you should be able to see it. Amen. It should be evident. Amen. And if there is no evidence of the power from heaven, power of God, should not be part of that church. Amen. Amen. Because God is powerful and his church should be powerful in some aspects, yet still the bride, still the servant, still powerful. Listen. God is working miracles. God is still working miracles. Amen. He's still speaking, working miracles. Teaching, instructing, delivering, healing, saving. Amen. Amen, brother in Texas. Scripture is clear that if we do not bear fruit, that we go away, fall away from Christ. We have to bear fruit. Those branches must be growing. Those branches must be reaching out. Amen. The storms would come against that tree. The storms would absolutely come against that tree. But we must be well-rooted to stand all the storms, hurricanes, and floods that will come, absolutely will come, and spells of drought as well. But the tree must still keep living, no matter what. We must continue that journey, no matter how long, across the mountains, across the rivers, through the valleys, we must continue the journey, however long it takes. We need to sing as we go that long journey. We need to sing. In your most difficult times, you should raise your voice in worship and praise and sing your hearts out. Because worship and praise is an atomic weapon against the enemy. It will see you through. Because when you draw near to the Lord in worship and praise, he will draw near to you. If you hug him, he'll hug you back. If you pay attention to him, he'll pay attention to you. If 
If you are faithful to him, he'll be faithful to you. But if you're not faithful to him, he will absolutely leave you and abandon you. It's not right to tell all the Christians, all so-called Christians, just everybody that thinks they're saved, it's not right to tell them God will never abandon you. Because the scripture is clear that he did cast away the wicked. He did cast away and will cast away. But it is us who do the forsaking first. As he is faithful. Amen. And long suffering and patience. We still have a lot of trials ahead of us. A lot of trials still ahead of us. We must just continue and continue and actually press harder than ever before. And God is equipping his church for this time and this season. He is preparing a way. He, even as John the Baptist came before Jesus as far as a ministry, John the Baptist was already in his ministry for his cousin Jesus began his ministry. John the Baptist prepared a way for Christ's return as was foretold in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, that another Elijah the prophet, another of Elijah would come to prepare the way for Christ. Jesus said that was fulfilled in John the Baptizer. But there must also be the same in our day and our time for Christ's return. There also must be people, more than one, that prepare the road, prepare the path. There must be, including the two final witnesses and as well as people even before the final two witnesses. Before that was Elisha, Elisha, that was Elijah. Amen. There are people that prepare the way. There are people that prepared the way for this ministry, Herbert W. Armstrong, and others prepared the way. They didn't finish preparing the way. They did what they could do because of the time that it was. It wasn't yet time for everything to be revealed yet. It wasn't time for everything to be accomplished yet and finished yet. They did their part of the journey and then they handed it the time. Amen. That's good. He is not coming without trumpets blowing first. You have to go through those seven trumpets before Christ comes. You got to go through those seven seals before Christ comes. He cannot come tonight. Amen? You got so many people out there that say, well, I don't know. He can come back tonight. He's gone. He can come back anytime he wants. That is such a lie of the devil because the Bible must be fulfilled. All these things must be fulfilled. Does not the scripture say that? 
Does not Revelation 21, Jesus signed the Bible, his signature, saying these words are faithful and true, as I declared them to my prophets? He signed the book of Revelation saying these words are true, and has his signature on it. These things must be filled. All the seven seals, all the seven trumpets must be fulfilled. You have to see the sun and the moon in a gigantic worldwide darkness and redness. Those with meteors falling down from the sky on the same day. It's not a normal eclipse. It's not a scheduled eclipse. It is a supernatural event. It is a sign from heaven that the Lord's, Lord's final year has begun when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, the meteors. That's the sixth seal. We're not even moving to the fifth seal yet. And yet people say, he can come back tonight. That is such hogwash. Yeah. I don't know what hogwash is, but let's say warcraft. I know my grandmother used to say Holocaust, I believe. But listen, Scripture has to be fulfilled. We can't jump seals. We can't jump trumpets. We can't skip pages. Amen. Bible must be fulfilled, and it's going to. There ain't no way about it. There ain't no two ways about it. It's going to happen. Amen. And the tribulation ain't gonna, is not going to be shortened, not even a day less. It's not going to be shortened down to five months or two years or one year. The great tribulation is three and a half full complete years or the 30 days of fleeing before it and a three and a half days after it of the two witnesses laying dead in the streets and then another 41 and a half days of wrath the vials being poured out. You have to go through all that before Jesus comes back to this earth. Every word of the Bible must be fulfilled. And not only the pages of the Bible that are published by uh, Nelson Publishers and what's another famous publishers? Zondon Bell. Nelson, Thomas Nelson, and other Bible publishers, not just the Bibles published by the world's corporations, not just the Bibles published by the corporate headquarters in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles, but also the Holy Scripture written by his prophets that are not published by the big corporate corporations. I don't think Jeremiah went to those famous publishers. I don't think the book of Jeremiah, even though he preached for years, even though Noah preached for years, I don't think Noah's scriptures that we don't even have no more. I'm sure Noah wrote scripture. I'm sure that they they were not published by the uh, big publishers of his day. Scripture comes from God. 
not giant corporative publishers. Scripture comes from God. Scripture is God's word written down by any chosen prophet of the Lord that God chooses to use. He can be poor, he can be rich, he can be white, he can be black, he can be young, he can be old, he can be skinny, he can be fat. But any man that God chooses as his prophet for that generation, and God speaks to that man, and that man writes down the revelations of the Lord, that is scripture. Amen. It does not have to be well known or well accepted or well embraced or well published. It doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to be in one volume. It doesn't have to be in such tiny print you can barely make it out. It doesn't need to be any of these things. It doesn't have to be with a leather cover. It doesn't have to be hardback. And doesn't have to be embraced by the traditional Pharisees. It does not have to be authorized by King James. It does not have to be authorized by the Protestant Church or the Catholic Church or the Jehovah's Witnesses. It doesn't have to be authorized by humans. Authorized by God. Amen. God alone. It is God who chooses who he chooses to work through. There's nothing wrong with those servants of God, those prophets that God has chosen, nothing wrong with them writing down what God has revealed to them. But here's the challenge. Even though everything I just said is a challenge to most people that think you're saved. But here's a greater challenge. What if you had lived in the times of Paul, Moses, And they was writing the scripture in Jeremiah, and they was writing the scripture at the time. But it wasn't yet well published, and it wasn't yet well accepted. It wasn't yet the official Bible. It wasn't yet authorized by the corporations and the Catholic Church and the Jewish Pharisees. It wasn't yet authorized. It was still fresh. You lived in that day. Would you recognize it? Would you recognize it as scripture? Would you recognize that it was of God? We should be able to recognize the truth when we see it. Amen. But most people in this modern time would not and do not recognize it. They don't recognize it. Amen. Think of during the time, however, let's compare the opposite though. There have been some faithful people in history. Mordecai and Esther. God chose to use Mordecai and Esther, both. They both 
fundamental and important in the events of what occurred. And they got the victory over that Iranian person, whatever dictator person that was plotting against the king and against the Jews, against Mordecai and Esther and their people. They got the victory. God gave them that victory. And then God gave them the victory. But Mordecai and Esther said to the people, let us celebrate. Let us have a new holiday called Karen. The people recognized the hand of God in the victory. They recognized the hand of God in Mordecai and Esther. They recognized that when they said, let's keep a day of celebration, hey, why not? Why not? Amen. God is the God of celebration. God is the God of miracles. God is the God of victory. Let us celebrate. Amen. And then at Hanukkah, during the time of the Maccabee family, they had a great tribulation they did. They had a great tribulation. Even a worse tribulation than Mordecai and Esther was facing. Maccabees had such a great tribulation. And they said, we have gotten the victory from the Lord. Let us celebrate. Let us keep Hanukkah. Let us celebrate Hanukkah. And the people recognized the victory that came from God and the hand of God in the Maccabee family. The people recognized the hand of God in the Maccabee family. And why not celebrate in the miracles of the Lord? Amen. What's got, brother? Delay? The last thing you read today, and you marked it in the Bible. Today, a day or two ago. And this is History Volume 2. Everybody turn to History Volume 2. I'll just use yours. Page 296, 1 Maccabees 13. 1 Maccabees 13. One night to be thirteen, verse fifty one, page two ninety six. God is good. Every worship service should be different. We don't need to go by a program. You don't have to have a certain number of songs, the same number of songs every week. You don't have to have, you've got to start exactly in prayer, exactly at this particular junction of time. And the services we had two days ago, last time we had services for the first day, uh, yesterday, yesterday, we had services for the first day of the eighth month. And I didn't read any verses from the Bible, but I quoted many, many, many verses throughout the sermon. I quoted scripture, referred to scripture repeatedly. Even though I didn't say, okay, now let's turn exactly to this passage. But I guarantee you, 
people listening to that sermon sometime in the future or yesterday, one or the other, be like, well, he never said. Let's turn to the particular scripture. Listen, I have to follow the spirit of the Lord. Amen. It don't have to be a program. It don't have to be A, B, C, one, two, three. You have to follow the spirit of the Lord. Amen. And that's what we're doing right now. So let's follow the spirit of the Lord. We'll go to 1 Maccabees 13, verse 51, page 296, verse 51 says, And enter into it the three and twentieth day of the second month, in the hundred and first year with thanksgiving, meaning giving thanks, and branches of palm trees, and of hearts and symbols, which is a musical instrument, and with ballads and hymns and songs, because there was destroyed a great enemy out of Jezreel. The enemy had been destroyed. 52. He ordained also that the day should be kept every year of gladness. Moreover, the heel of the temple that it was by the tire, he, he made stronger than it was. stronger, And there he dwelt himself with his company, his army, his troops, and his family, and his people. And when Simon saw that John, his son, this Maccabee family, was a valiant man, he made him captain of all the hosts, of all the armies, over all the multitudes, and he dwelt in Gaza. Praise the Lord. They celebrated and raised people that God had chosen to use for that generation. They declared a particular day of celebration. But it was a day of celebration that was ordained by God. God ordained it, and the men of God recognized, okay, this is the day that's celebrated. Amen. Thank you, brothers. So that's the testimony. Because Brother Gerald did not know any of the things I would bring up today. He didn't know any of the things. I did not send him any notes ahead of time this week. So he didn't know any of the points and principles and verses that I would bring up today. And yet he had that marked in the past couple of days. God always continues to confirm his word, his ordaining, his power from on high through this ministry constantly. Amen. And so, I believe that Christ has laid it in my heart and mind that on November the 11th, just a few days away, November the 11th, and that would be Thursday. That would be Veterans Day in America. In other nations, it's called Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, other names. So there's many, lots and lots of nations that keep that day in November, November the 11th, which is a day that's already celebrated. It's a day of historical, very, very, very historical significance. I'm sure more than what we realize. 
I believe that Christ has laid on me and us that this day, November the 11th, Thursday, every year, starting this year, not only to celebrate it as whatever day they already call it, but to keep it as a day of celebration and feasting and rejoicing because we know what the scriptures have foretold. Jesus spoke in parables and other secret sayings and, and different ways of hiding revelation and truth from people that were not meant to see, people that were not meant yet to be saved. He was not in a rush to save the world. He did not come to bring peace but a sword and to divide families. He did come. Read it yourself. And he did not speak in a way that everybody would understand. No, he did not. Even Paul, many of his words seem like he is contradicting himself constantly. Even Peter said that the writings of Paul were difficult to understand. But the scripture is clear of at least five end-time holy days that will be fulfilled on the exact day of the Bible's calculation of exactly how many days between each end-time event, the seals, the fifth seal, the sixth seal, the seventh seal will all be opened on holy days. Some of you have not read this yet, not heard this yet, but a few years ago I wrote the article that you can still find on the internet that will give you solid scriptural and historical proof. Scriptural and historical proof. Because history repeats itself. And when a day is significant, there will be significant events on that day repeated. That day is carved in stone. That day is significant in heaven. That day is significant to the angels. That day is significant to the armies of the Lord and the armies of the devil. They know the days. Most people are ignorant of the days. I believe November 11th is one of them. Yeah. November the 11th was the day in 1918 that they signed the first treaty to end World War One. World War One was called the war that would end all wars. Which it wasn't, but that's what they were calling it. And exactly at 11 o'clock in the morning, on the 11th day of the 11th month in the Roman calendar, the treaty came into effect. That's not when they signed it, but when it came into effect. And it did not finalize peace. There were still some battles, some rebels, some rebellious 
units that continued to fight, and they had to sign a couple of more treaties to get it completely overdone, and it took a whole year to do that. But nevertheless, very significant that the first treaty began the peace process, began that the war would stop. came into effect at 11 in the morning, 11th day of the 11th month, at 1918, to end World War I. And that's how we came up with Veterans Day, also called Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, depending on what your nation calls it. That's a very historical event, very historical event. But, as I said, God's days, many times there will be multiple historical events on that same date, multiple times in history. And so that is what happened with human eyes. But in the spiritual realm, the war to end all wars, of course, will be the Battle of Armageddon. And then 41 and a half days or 45 days later, whatever it is, Christ will come and actually land on earth. Actually, that's the Battle of Armageddon. That day. He, after the, uh, so what I just said was, let me correct myself here. That messed up a little bit. We have the Day of Atonement, and the saints are called up on the Day of Atonement, on that holy day. And then, 41 and a half or 45 days later, then you have Christ come at the Battle of Armageddon. That day that Christ comes, even though some of you will immediately hang up from this broadcast, nevertheless, i got to say what the truth is, no matter what, that day that Christ comes to this earth will be November the 11th, Amen. 2025. There's no ifs, uh, ifs, or buts about it. I say that because the scripture is clear about that. It really is clear that it's hidden. You have to seek, you have to search, you have to be chosen for this generation. You have to be willing to examine, study, re-examine, prove all things, 1 Thessalonians 5, Study, read the scriptures to see if these things be true, like the Bereans. Yet be willing to grow in truth, not stay stuck, not be lukewarm, but grow in truth. Amen. We'll talk more about the significance and some proof of this here in a minute. First, let's get something knocked out of the way. Let's turn to the book of Matthew, I think it is. And that is the claim that we can't know the day of Christ's return. I already preached against that. I already wrote an article against that. But let's review that real quick. 
Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. Of that day and hour, no one knows that even, not even, the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So everybody always quotes this. But they always ignore that it's written in present tense. It is written as Jesus speaking to the crowd that's standing right in front of him 2,000 years ago. It is a major point about understanding Scripture that most people don't understand. And that is, you should consider who is talking to who in what context. People never think about that. Jesus is not standing there saying, uh, speaking into a, uh, Jesus is not there standing there speaking into some kind of a magic machine that is telepopping his voice to an audience 2,000 years later on the intercom on the wall with a button speak to an audience that is not in front of him. But rather, he's speaking to an audience that is right in front of him at that time on that day. It's written in the present tense to the people that he's actually looking at and actually talking to at that moment. And to those people, that died 2,000 years ago. To those people, he said that no one knew at that time. Not even the angels. Not even he himself knew at that time. He did not say that 2,000 years in the future, no one would know. He didn't say that. Where, where does it say 2,000 years in the future? Where does it say that no one would ever know and no one could ever know? Where, 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 where does it say that? No verse. Amen. Taking the current tense, the people right in front of 
Just like a lot of the writings of Paul were letters written to individual congregations dealing with the problems of their day. Amen. A lot of times Paul is dealing with individual congregations that is dealing with legalism that came from the Pharisees. And that's what Paul battled against very much, very hard when he was talking against the law and also, of course, against the old covenant law that was done away with, sacrificial, sacrificing animals and circuses and clean, unclean meats, all that in old covenant, temporary, ceremonial law. He was speaking against that as well as legalism across the board. The individual congregations that existed that no longer exist. You got to understand who the letters were written to and who they are speaking to. Jesus did not say in this verse or in this chapter or in this book, he did not say that no one would ever know. You can't know. But people say, well, Jesus is God. Don't come. He didn't even know. He did not even know it says here. So if he didn't know, how could he ever know? So that's what people would say. And that's that is a logical response. I accept that response as a logical response. It's not a silly response. But there is a simple answer because the Bible gives it to you. The Bible gives you the answer. It tells you why. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. Page 2, 11. Philippians 2, verse 5. Verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, in the form of Theos, did not decide that wholeness with the others is a thing to be held on to, to maintain. But rather he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and came in the likeness of mankind. He fell in an appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Amen. So this scripture is clear. Even though he was God, staying in heaven and staying only as God in spirit was not something to be held on to 
but rather he emptied himself and came as a servant in the form of a man. A servant doesn't know everything that the master knows. He he emptied himself. That means he left a lot of his power and a lot of his knowledge in heaven with the other measure of himself, the measure of himself that stayed in heaven and he called the Father, even though he himself was the Father, and he said so. He said he was the Father, and they said, show us the Father, and he said, have I not been here with you? He said he was the Father. But yet he also, it sounds like he's contradicting himself. The reason it sounds like he's contradicting himself is because it's not meant for everybody to understand. But he's not contradicting himself at all. It only seems like that to carnal ears, fleshly ears. We have to think spiritual. We have to look at the spiritual point, spiritual principle that's being said and to who. But he emptied himself out. He left part of himself in heaven. He left part of his knowledge in heaven. That's why. That he did not know at that time, nor the angels knew. No. The Father knew the greater measure of his own self. His own self. The greater measure of his own self. Did know. But not the earthly Christ. Not the physical brain of Christ. The physical brain of Christ. But no, did not remember. Because he emptied it. He left that in heaven. But the scripture is clear. That if a man knows when the house is going to be broken into, he'd be ready for that. Did not Christ say that? People skip that verse or that part of the verse, and they say, Christ is coming as a thief in the night. No man, and it doesn't say that. Christ is coming as a thief, like a thief in the night. But who is he coming as a thief in the night to? What was the spiritual principle that he was trying to get to? The spiritual principle that he was trying to get to, that he was trying to teach, is that the wicked will not know, that the wicked will not be prepared that the wicked do suffer the consequences of being broken into, not being prepared. Just like Noah's Ark. The wicked were not prepared. They were warned, but they didn't believe the prophet. They didn't believe the word of God that had been spoken to that man.
God is good. God is one, and God does foretell. And God now knows Jesus himself. After he went back to heaven, he no longer empty. When he went back to heaven, he regained all the power, all the knowledge, entire universe. He could tell you, Christ could right now tell you the exact number of inches and centimeters and millimeters, feet and yards and miles of every planet and every moon and every solar system if he wanted to. He knows that. He knows all of it. He knows when he's coming back. Amen. So if he knows when he's coming back, that proves that the verse in Matthew that we just read or go does not mean that he never knows. He said he, he said he did not know. But he knows now, does he not? Do you believe that Christ does not know when he's coming back? Do you believe that both the groom and the bride, both, We'll not be ready for the wedding. That's pretty ignorant thinking. I'm not trying to insult anyone. I'm just trying to get you to understand that it is ignorant thinking. It's foolish thinking to think that both the groom and the bride both will not ever know in advance when their wedding is going to be. As far as rich wedding, a famous historical wedding, a, a wedding, the wedding of Eternity, the, the, the most important and the largest wedding. You're talking about having more than one wife. This is going to be the largest wedding to ever occur in all of history. Amen. And yet, he's not going to be ready for it. That's not logical. The bride won't be ready. Bible says the bride made herself ready. Does it not say that? Yeah. Look it up. The bride made herself ready. It ain't going to be no surprise. The Bible says that Jesus said that if the good man of the house knew when the thief was coming, he would not allow his house be broken into. So the good man of the house, the righteous, will know, will be ready. And to the good man, Christ will not be like a thief. Christ ain't like a thief to me. Christ should not be like a thief to you. Do you ever think of Christ like a thief? Only the wicked think of Christ like a thief. Amen. 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 I want to hear amen from Jamaica. Amen. I want to hear amen from Korea. Woo! Amen. 
I want to hear all the way on this side of the earth and from Australia too and from Africa. Amen. He's not coming like a thief to us. We are going to make ourselves ready. Amen. Praise God. Now, I found out something about November the 11th. Not only is it this historical date of Veterans Armistice Remembrance Day about World War I, but also, if you look at the calendar for 2025, the year that the Lord revealed in Scripture, about his coming. The Day of Atonement is October 1st of that year. The Day of Atonement, October 1st, 2025. Forty days after the Day of Atonement, if you go by the last minute of the day, when the Day of Atonement is done and complete, 40 days later, Is November the 11th. Now, that's significant. That is significant. Because November the 11th, the date of Christ's return, being 40 days after the Day of Atonement, is significant because it is a holiday for some people who think they are Jews. And that is the Ethiopian Jews. Very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. And mm, I hear a few. I, I hear a few people cross the road on Ethiopian holiday. The Ethiopian Jews, I don't believe that they are real Jews, but perhaps maybe there are some interracial, intertribal marriages, perhaps, perhaps. But nevertheless, those Ethiopian Jews, 40 days after the Day of Atonement, I don't know how you pronounce this, but it's spelled S-I-G-D, S-I-G-D. It's also spelled and pronounced or many other different names and ways, different words. It is a unique holiday to just the Ethiopian Jews, as far as I know right now. And some, web, some websites say it's actually 50 days after the day of atonement, and other ones say 40 days, so there's not agreement. And I, I, I suspect there might even be uh, Disagreement even among themselves, I suspect. I've not had enough time to do a ton of research on this, but I did find several websites that say 40 days after the day of atonement. And get this, I've got to add this into the notes real quick <clears throat> before I forget. And that is, as I typed it, I get my mouse to work. Oh, 
Okay. Uh, S-I-G-D. The meaning of that day is the, the acceptance of the law of God the acceptance of the law of God coming into agreement with the law of God so let me read something else here let me find this note I may not have made that note let's see I just did that, okay. So when I post the notes after the sermon is over with, I will post the notes in our social media group on MeWe. MeWe is a great alternative to Facebook. We have several groups, a lot of groups on MeWe. And on the main group, I saw like ministry group on MeWe, I will be posting the notes to the sermon. And in those notes, I will have several links talking about and where you can research this holiday. And one of the links will show you that, that there is a significant event about, uh, I believe it's some apocryphal work of the Luke describing Jeremiah, and some, some kind of connection with the 40th day after the Day of Atonement with uh, his writing, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And something about that Moses actually received the law uh, on the Day of Atonement. And there was something about uh, the 40 days and 40 nights that he was on the mountain uh, after the Day of Atonement. And he went back up there, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not misunderstanding, maybe he went back up there 40 days after, or he came down 40 days after, I guess he came down 40 days after. So, uh, so there's, and you know that 40 is significant in the Bible. Uh, Jesus had fasted 40 days, and 40 days, 40 nights, and other significant uh, uh, events of 40 days in the Bible. I've always thought, always did think, there's something about 40 days. I don't know why. I never have figured that out. I've always liked 40 days. There's got to be something about 40 days. There has to be. And I've tried to figure it out before. I, 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 I look at the calendar and say, hey, you know, is 40 days going to be this, it's going to be that. I could not ever find it. As I've said before many times, the end time prophetic timeline is not my creation. It's God's. It belongs to God. It's God's knowledge. It's God's wisdom. It's, it's God's creation. He created the calendar. Amen. But he taught me his calendar one spoon at a time. Amen. One thing at a time, one measure at a time, one point at a time, 
one point and principle and destroy the significance one at a time until I got the entire picture. And I'm still getting it. You know, I still don't have the entire picture. I still don't have the entire picture. Amen. And we spoke recently in a recent sermon about the last great day. Amen. The last great day, I believe that's when we're going to enter paradise. I believe now that most likely that great white throne judgment will last 11 days. I believe that is what it was. 11 or 10 days, something like that. I believe it's going to last that long. It's now what I believe. To get you from the Day of Atonement until the last great day. How many days is that? Well, You have a feast time like this starts on the 15th. So you got seven days of the feast. That takes you what? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. So the 22nd day. 22nd day is the last great day. That's eight days of the feast. And then another five is what? 13, so it's 13 days. I think. I'm kind of Okay, so instead of 11 days, I think the judgment will last 13 days. Now, I might be wrong on that, but I think that it's going to be like that. I think the judgment will be from the day of atonement until the last great day, or at least part of it will be almost that long, and then whatever transitions, whatever happens, we don't know every little, ever, 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 every little second. We don't have all of it yet. But I believe that the end of the 100 years will be on the Day of Atonement, and that's when the Great White Throne Judgment begins on that Day of Atonement. And then, 13 days later, will be in paradise. Now, what all that happens in those 13 days, I don't know ever, ever, ever second, every minute, what is occurring in those 13 days. But when you read Revelation 21, on the last great day, in John 7, where Jesus stands on the last great day, says, He that thirst, let him come to me. And in Revelation 21, we're in paradise and we're coming to Christ. I believe that's how that's going to happen. So we're getting more pieces of the puzzle. We're getting the calendar uh, perfected a little bit more and, and more components added to the calendar, more ingredients of the calendar added on. And now this one about the importance of the 40 days that I always wondered, there's got to be something about 40 days. It's got to be. So now we see 40 days after the Day of Atonement is this hidden holiday that only a very few people on earth know about and observe. And it's relate, related to humanity coming into agreement with the law of God. Zechariah 14 says, 
Zechariah 14 says that after Jesus comes back, it says that if anyone does not come to Jerusalem to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, on the Feast of Tabernacles, they should be accursed. Either Egypt or anyone, any nation that shall not come, that they will be accursed. They will be punished and not get rain. So there will still be sin after Jesus comes back. Most people don't know that. The Bible is very clear on that. There will still be sin after Jesus comes on this earth. Because it's not finished. We're not in paradise yet. You're not in paradise until you get to paradise. Are we there yet, Mommy? Are we there yet, Daddy? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You're not there until you're there. And we're not in paradise until you get to paradise. And paradise does not occur until a thousand and one hundred years after Christ returns. Until then, there's no reason. Until paradise, there will still be sin. What is sin? The transgression of the law. The breaking of God's law. The 40 days after the Day of Atonement is the day that is recognized in humanity coming into agreement with the law of God. So I believe that Somehow, some way, that group of people received some kind of a secret knowledge, a hidden knowledge, passed down from somebody or a divine revelation. And I don't, I don't think that we should, just because of that, adopt everything that that group teaches. No. Because you can find some truth anywhere. You can find some truth in the Jehovah's Witnesses that they are an anti-Christ group. You can find some truth with the Jews that they are anti-Christ. You can find some, some, some truth in the Catholic Church that they're the mother of Babylon. You can find some truth in Islam that they are also the mother of Babylon. Amen. Devil is more than one wife, so is God. And, uh, God divorced two women in the Old Testament. Look at that. God divorced two women in the Old Testament. Look at that. The house of Judah and the house of Israel. Amen. But there's some truth in every group. Because the devil always mixes some of the, some of God's truth in. God people in to the coast. But we can find some truth. And I believe we have found some truth. I believe that God has given us another piece of the puzzle. Amen. So I believe the 40 days has been answered, and I, I don't feel like I'm explaining all of this good enough. 
tired and exhausted, and cold. But this is a starting point of understanding is an introduction. This is an introduction for both you and me. This is an introduction. And we'll continue to put this together. We'll continue to study. We'll continue to uh, expand upon this. Okay? So I praise the Lord for this. And what this means is on the 11th, which is Thursday, we're going to have special worship services at 11 in the morning. Amen. And I would encourage everyone to try, if you're able to, if you can, to have a special meal. Amen. It's going to be a holiday. And not only this year, but every year. It's going to be a holiday. And even as Mordecai and Esther proclaimed a so-called holiday, very new, and just like the Maccabees declared a so-called new holiday, but it really wasn't new, here is also Apostle Zimmerman declaring to you a so-called new holiday, which is not new. These are ages pranks. That is good. Let's celebrate November the 11th as the day that Jesus will return. The day of the battle of Armageddon. It is a day of war and peace at the same time. And even after they signed that peace treaty, war and sin continue. And even after Christ comes, that would still be sin, God's law, people, people saying, I don't need to keep God's law, and curses. It's still a great day to celebrate because it is the beginning of peace. It is the beginning of peace. It's the beginning of God's full kingdom, even though it still won't be his full kingdom until paradise. That is the thing. So right now we're in a time period of 40 days. Right now, you don't need a fast. Come on. Don't do it. So we are in a 40 days right now from the Day of Atonement until November the 11th. That is good. You know, the scripture says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, even as some do. And even so much more so as the day draws near, meaning as the end time comes, we should make sure that we continue to meet together, have worship services, have sermons, have fellowship, and even more so, it says, as the day draws near, the day of Christ's returns. So because now we keep term, we didn't used to keep term until a few years ago. We keep Hanukkah. 
We didn't used to keep on until a few years ago in this ministry. I never, I, I did not keep current in Hanukkah during Apostle Armstrong when he was the apostle. I, he didn't teach that we should keep current and and Hanukkah. As far as I know, uh, they didn't teach it to me. I didn't keep it these days until one at a time a few years ago, different years. And now, another one. Hey, what do we want to call it? The day of the Lord's return. Battle of Armageddon. So the only thing I'm going to call it is the celebration of the Lord's return. Now, of course, the saints who get caught up at the first resurrection, they're going to meet the Lord in the air before that day. Only one and a half days before that. On the day of the tongue, which there's another 40, 41 and a half. We're going to have some variations in these calculations when we don't know every second, every hour, we don't know every aspect of it. But we do know that we're going to be with Christ in heaven, and they will suffer in heaven, then come back to earth with him. We're going to come back to earth with him. There was even a song somewhere, as I was doing some research this morning, about the 40 days some calculations of even 42 days, which would be 41 and a half. 41 and a half is 42. I saw something about that one time, and I saw, of course, like I said, 50 days that some people go by. So there's not full agreement because people are still learning. And, and there's, you know, when you have only very few people observing it, you don't have a lot of agreement. You've got you know, is it just that tribe? Is it the other tribe? Are they even Jews? Where did, where did they get it from? There's a lot of unknown. But what we do know is that there's some significance, historical significance, about November the 11th. And the 11 and 11 and 11, and it comes back to me about what year, maybe 2009 or 10 or 11. Oh, it was 2010, I think, or 2011. That the number 11 kept coming to me, and even 11, 11 to me. And I did not understand it. In fact, I will confess that I misunderstood and I misinterpreted that God did give me 11 11. This is November the 11th, whatever year it was, 
that he gave that to me. And I misinterpreted, I misunderstood, but he did give me those numbers very clearly, very powerfully, and repeatedly over and over and over. So much that I said something like this as I was walking down the road. If it's true, and you're really speaking to me, and you're really giving me these numbers, and it's not my imagination, but it's really you, then let me find something on the side of the road, on the ground, and I forget what I said. I have to see if I got it written down in my miracle book. I think I might. I don't know. Uh, list of miracles that I write down. What was it? I said, let me find. And only seconds later, I found it. Is that it? I found it up. It was a, a, a miracle. It was a miracle. A grand, powerful, divine miracle. I always knew there was something about 40 days. I didn't know what. And God gave me that 11-11, but I did not know really what. I didn't really know what. I was misinterpreted. People think that a prophet has to be perfect. Must be perfect. And if a prophet doesn't understand everything, and if a prophet doesn't say and teach everything correct every time, if he makes any mistake on anything, he's lost and he's up and down and he's a false prophet. That's the way you've been taught to think. That's the way you've been programmed and brainwashed to think. <clears throat> Amen? Because again, they forget to look at who the audience is. The Bible says that if a prophet says something to you and it doesn't come true, that you should not fear him and that you should kill him, in other words, and, and stuff like that. They point to those verses try to tell you that if I, any man from God in our day and our time, get anything wrong, misinterpreted, mistaught, misexplained, that he's not from God, but rather he's not the devil. So who is the audience? Who is the audience that that was really written to? Three, four thousand years ago, or two thousand five hundred years ago? Who is the audience? The audience was to the citizens of Jerusalem and the citizens of Israel and the citizens of Judah and Israel that were saying that the invasion ain't coming. It was concerning false prophets of that day, that time, that location, that generation, of that war, of that invasion, of the false prophets that were living there and was coming against Jeremiah, that was coming against Hosea, that was coming against Ezekiel, that was coming against God's servants. God was speaking against the false prophets that were coming against his true prophets. The reality is, a lot of times God gives us gifts 
from on high. Even though that those spiritual empowerments, those spiritual gifts, those spiritual empowerments that God gives you, even though it's divine, even though it's God, these human bodies, these human brains, these human tongues cannot process it and exercise it 100% accurately. I thought it was a net, a fly or something, fruit fly. I just hit a nail on the head. Amen? Really, I just hit a nail on the head. I thought it was a fruit fly, and there I hit it. I just hit the nail on the head that night. Amen. God is so good. People think that a prophet has to be perfect. They think a person who sings has to be perfect. They think a person who plays a musical instrument has to be perfect. They think a preacher has to be perfect. Amen. A lot of women think well, their hair has to be perfect, or their nails have to be perfect, or their clothes have to be perfect, or their cosmetics, their makeup has to be perfect. So long, so long, so long, so long, so long, so long. We don't live in a perfect world. And the perfect will of God does not always get exercised, even in his true prophets. Jeremiah, he gave up on God a few times. Did you know that? There was times that Jeremiah cried out of, why are you doing this? Basically, his attitude, some of his words were, you have forsaken me. Joseph, Jeremiah, Sometimes they felt abandoned by God. Sometimes they hit rock hard bottom. Their trials were so even Jesus in the human flesh did not say perfect and holy words. And he contradicted himself when he said, Remove this. Up from me. When he was faced with his last night on earth, and also the night, he knew he was about to be crucified, even though he came to die. So he came to die for our sins, and that was his plan, and that was his goal. And he knew it, he knew it, he had taught it. He had said it over and over and over and over and over. He knew exactly what day it was going to happen. But when it came down to it, with him being in the flesh, with a, a brain of humanity, with a brain that had been emptied a lot of the knowledge of God, He reached a, a rock-hard bottom 
of agony and defeat. The Lord, God, why have you forsaken me? And before that, don't let me die. Don't let me die. Remove this cup from my hand. Well, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, Lord, your, your will, not mine. That is not perfection. It was humanity. Even Christ, that was not a sin. There's a difference between sin and just human humanity of not being perfect. If he had been perfect in the flesh, he would not have reached that level of desperation. It was his human side, it was his human brain, his human blood, his human DNA. I'm not putting Christ down. I'm using written scripture. These are scriptures. These are scriptures that are hard to understand, hard to teach, hard to comprehend, hard to understand, because he came to die. It wasn't a sin for him to not be perfect in the flesh. Amen. It wasn't a sin. He died without sin. It's okay for a truly saved person to make mistakes, to say things that are not really 100% accurate. It's okay. Because we're human, we're in the flesh. We have human DNA, human brains. We say things that's going to be misinterpreted. Sometimes we say it like that on purpose. That's my And other times, it's not really full will of God, the perfect will of God, because we're not living in it. We're not in paradise yet. We're not living in a perfect world, a perfect brand, a perfect body. We don't have the perfect will of God. We're not in paradise yet. We're not going to be in paradise until we get to paradise. Sometimes our words are conflicting, but it doesn't prove anything other than that we are human. But the spirit of Jesus, his soul, was God. And it was a minimum measure of God's spirit so that the body of Christ would not explode, and so that Christ could be a servant, that he humbled himself. Amen. So yes, misinterpreted, and it actually even preached 
wrong that year, whatever it was. Two thousand ten, two thousand eleven is my best guess right now, but maybe one in those years. But I did say some things wrong. And that wasn't the only time I said some things wrong. You know, at one time, years and years and years ago, a long time ago, I taught that we shouldn't eat pork. I taught that we should not eat those so-called unclean foods because that's what Mr. Armstrong taught. And I was still young. And there was a lot of truth that I had not yet been directly taught by the Lord yet on many things. I was a babe in Christ. A babe does not know everything. You might be a true prophet of the Lord, but if you're still a babe in Christ, then you are still a babe in Christ, whether you're a prophet or not. Whether you're a pastor or not, or preacher or not, or evangelist or not, if you are are a babe in Christ, oh, you're going to make some mistakes, absolutely. But you cannot perfect it without exercising it and making those mistakes. When you're bodybuilding, especially when you first start out, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to get way too sore or not sore enough. You're probably going to get injured at least once when you're bodybuilding. Now, I love bodybuilding working out. Not that I really do it enough, but I like to do it. Basically, when we get everything out of storage, then I can get back to doing that. And I love UFC, boxing, and, and watching the fights, and watching their skill. And I can tell you, you can look at the best fighter, the most skilled, the most experienced, the best fighters that exist out there in the UFC. And see even the experts making mistakes because they're humans. But even more when they're still new to fight. But you've got to go through a lot to get in the UFC. You have got to already prove yourself as an excellent fighter before you can get into the UFC. But you're still new to the UFC. And you're still going to make mistakes when you first come into the UFC. And as we go into each new leg of the journey, we're going to make some mistakes. Praise God. Because it's through the mistakes that you are perfected. Bible even says that Christ became perfected. That he sojourned and went through that journey. We have to go through the trials of life the sufferings and the mistakes and we have to all of life. Amen. We have to go through all of life. You can't just go from a babe to an old man. 
have to learn wisdom through time and mistakes. Wisdom just is not just automatically granted to you in the entirety. You know, God does give you some wisdom. He does give you a measure of wisdom, and some more than others. But then at the same time, at the same time, people grow in wisdom even if they are lost, like I said, wisdom. Even lost people grow in wisdom as they get older. That is the natural law of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. But that's the sermon. And let's celebrate on the 11th. We'll have special services at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And thank you for your prayers. I know a lot of people are praying for us right now. Uh, God has really blessed us, but it's also a trial and a blessing both at the same time. Amen. It sounds like a contradiction. It may be a contradiction, praise the Lord, but it's the reality. It's both a blessing and a trial at the same time. Amen. And I take it. I take both sides of it at the same time. I would take this very contradicting house. Praise the Lord. God was a blessing from the Lord. Amen. Praise God. All right, I'll let you all go. And uh, my computer, this plug is not working. Charging my battery. I figured out why it's not working. Um, so before it turns off, I got to end the broadcast. And I thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your patience. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.